The Hill Talks, a podcast by The Hill Talk. Hello, hello. I'm Juan Ben Jr., your host, bringing you three stories you need to know. Coming from the nation's oldest black collegiate newspaper. This week, DC expands its SNAP benefit program. Howard offers a new African language class, and the Hilltop returns 100. Without further ado, let's get into it. Natalia Wilson, news and politics reporter at the Hilltop and friend of the pod. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Well, last time you were here on the show, we were talking about Fonnie Willis and her case against Donald Trump in the state of Georgia. But today we're staying in Washington, D.C., and we're going to talk about city council members Christina Henderson and Janice Lewis George's efforts to increase Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP benefits, for D.C. residents. So, Natalia, how much money are we talking about here? Right. So after federal pandemic funding relief ran out last March, a lot of families saw a decrease in SNAP benefits. So in response, D.C. Council passed the legislation requiring that approximately 40 million would be used to increase SNAP benefits by 10 percent for nine months if the district had a budget surplus, which it did. Um, And the OCFO, which is the office of the chief financial officer for D.C., confirmed that thirty nine point six million dollars have been transferred to the Department of Human Services to fund this SNAP increase. Wow, that's a lot of money. Um, So how will that money exactly be distributed across families individually? Right. So on average, each recipient will receive about $47 more per month in food assistance. But of course, a lot of families will receive much more depending on their family size and income level. Mm. And Despite receiving unanimous council approval last spring when this bill was first introduced, Mayor Bowser did not initially support the bill when it was proposed. Why was that? So Mayor Bowser and her administration cited various budget pressures, including $800 million that needed to be used to fund union contracts, WMATA, and other expenses just to justify their noncompliance with the legislation. Um, And in an interview with NBC Washington, Mayor Bowser questioned if it would have been better to use a surplus for TANF, which provides cash assistance to families in need. Um, And she said that it would affect more people. Um, However, it's really not her choice. Um, And according to the Attorney General Brian Schwab, um, he found that it was illegal to use the funds for anything other than what was required by the SNAP legislation, which she initially signed off. Four, um, when it was proposed by the D.C. Council. So she she couldn't just change her mind and allot this money that was designated for SNAP to any other needs in the district, which of course we need so much, but it just simply isn't her choice to do that. So was it this pushback that, you know, made her change her mind and eventually support this legislation? Absolutely. So, of course, immediately upon her saying that she didn't want to comply, Uh, the D.C. Council pushed back. Um, And then, according to NBC Washington again, she did not agree to comply with the legislation until she was informed by Legal Aid D.C. that they would pursue a lawsuit um, to force the city to comply. Wow. Well, you know, it's good that she eventually came around because now that she did, more than 130,000 SNAP recipients in D.C. will receive more money. So, Natalia, thank you so much for your reporting. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. 
Akan tree, or tree for short, is a variety of the Akan language spoken by millions of people in Ghana. Now, it's being taught in a room on the third floor of Lock Hall and is the latest African language to be added to Howard's Department of World Languages and Culture. My name is Manfred Ozoafari. I'm originally from Ghana. I grew up in New York, so um, I thought that taking this class would be kind of like a home away from home to meet more people that are just like me on campus, to sort of like um, stay connected with my culture and my language. Many of the students taking the class are like Manford. They have some kind of connection to the country, whether they were born in Ghana or their parents were. And they're taking this class to connect with their roots and each other. Did you already record? Yeah, I'm sorry. Ah! It's okay. Okay. My name is Ajoy Husu. I'm a senior biology major, chemistry minor from Decatur, Georgia, by way of Ivory Coast and Ghana. Typically with languages, people feel a little bit apprehensive because they're new, unexperienced, and just haven't been exposed to the language properly. But all of us inside the class just so happen to have like similar stories where like we have the parent that's from that particular country, or at least that place, that wasn't able to, you know, pass on the language, or at least they had the language, but it's just they're trying to learn to, you know, solidify what they already know. So yeah, it feels really There cool. are over 1,200 Howard students enrolled in the eight African language classes offered at the university, Amharic, Arabic, Swahili, Wolof, Yoruba, Zulu, Somali, and now Akan Tree. The Department of World Languages and Culture is looking to become the number one institution in the U.S. for critical African language training. Soraya Adams, one of the campus reporters at the Hilltop, wrote a really touching story on the addition of this new class. You can find it on our website or in the show notes below at thehilltoponline.com. Next up, a conversation with our editor-in-chief. Jasper Smith is the Hilltop's editor-in-chief, aka my boss and friend. She joins me today to talk about our historic publication's 100th birthday, which was this week. She wrote a letter from the editor that was published on Monday that everybody go check it out. It was great. TheHilltopOnline.com. It had me emotional at some points. Jasper, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm, of course, a friend and fan of The Hilltop, so I'm really <laughs> to be here and to talk about my letter from the editor and what The Hilltop 100 means to me. Of course. Well, speaking of your letter, you wrote that Hilltop journalists have committed themselves to a mission that is so much greater than each of us. And I wonder if we can start our conversation with you just sharing exactly what you think that is. What has sustained this paper for 100 years? Yes, um, that is something that, you know, I think about every Monday when we're publishing articles, um, when I'm staying up on my Sunday evenings, dedicating my time to the Hilltop. That mission is to serve the Howard community, whether it's our students, whether it's our administrators, whether it's residents who read our paper. You know, our circulation is not just within the student body. We have thousands of readers every week that are eager to engage with the Hilltop and what it is that we're reporting on. And so what I mean by this mission being so much greater than each of us is that for a lot of us, this is not just like something to add on our resume, but it's service work. And that's what journalism is. It's a service. Speaking of this service work, right, 
The Black press was birthed out of being of service to the Black community at a time when our communities were not being reported on. And so with that, I wonder if you think of the Hilltop as a part of this lineage of the Black press and Black student media. And in this era of misinformation and just general distrust in the media, how do you think a paper like ours on HBCU campus can serve their communities? Uh, it absolutely is a pillar in the Black press. You know, at one point, the Hilltop was the only daily Black publication, not just within the college papers, but within Black media in general. And so, you know, we've absolutely cemented ourselves within the Black press. You know, we cover the accomplishments of our community, um, of Black accomplishments. We were there when Obama was inaugurated. You know, we were there when Martin Luther King was visiting Howard University's campus. We were there chronicling Howard University students protesting the university against apartheid for at least the past 100 years. The Hilltop has always been there within Black history. One thing that really just strikes me about just the longevity that our paper has is that that's 100 years of Black student journalists reporting on their communities, reporting on this campus, reporting on what's going on in DC, and not even just reporting, but writing poetry and doing illustrations and making um, cartoons and doing photography. Um, and now we're making podcasts and we're doing multimedia stuff and we're digital. I wonder if you can talk a bit about the role that student media plays, not only just, you know, for journalists, but also just on college campuses, in particular HBCUs? Yes, absolutely. Student journalism is important. You know, it's also a pillar to democracy as well, um, in the same way that just the press is in general. Um, and, you know, one line that I did talk about was how a lot of the times I feel like the accomplishments of the Black collegiate press go unnoticed. I think within the past few years, this past year specifically, there's been a lot of conversations in the media finally about the importance of collegiate press. You know, you saw Stanford's newspaper take down their president. We had students at Michigan State University chronicling the active shooter that was on their campus. You had the students at Harvard chronicling and reporting on the resignation of their president, Dr. Gay, during finals. You know, student journalism is important and they're getting the scoops before a lot of these major publications are. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of the times we leave out the Black college press and these conversations as well. You know, the Hilltop was there. We were chronicling and reporting on the Blackburn takeover. We were reporting on bomb threats during our campus. Um, and then also just looking at other collegiate papers, Morgan State University, the spokesman, they were reporting as there is an active shooter on that campus. So many of our college papers are facing a crisis with underfunding. You know, our historically Black colleges and universities are, you know, systemically and historically underfunded. So imagine how underfunded our newspapers are. But even still, they're still doing good work and they're still going out with minimal resources um, and doing the work of, you know, professional publications in, in some sense. So I think, you know, as we acknowledge the student press, like, please, in the same breath, acknowledge the Black college press, because we are also here and we're also doing the work. So I think it's really important that as we're celebrating our centennial, it's like a lift while we climb type of, you know, mentality for me that uh, I want to take this time to also acknowledge some of the other papers in hopes that more collegiate Black papers can reach 100 years as well, because the mission of the Black press is to be a watchdog for our communities. And, you know, we need more watchdogs. We need more Black college papers. And I want to see that longevity in their papers as well. You mentioned earlier Zornel Hurston, Eugene King, our co-founders who started this paper 100 years ago. And to end our conversation, I wonder if you can talk a bit about what you think that they were trying to do when they started all of this 100 years ago. 
100 years ago when Zorna Hurston and Eugene King founded the Hilltop, the first article that was published in the paper was about student frustration dealing with registration. And I think, you know, 100 years later, that's still something that a lot of our students can relate to. That is still a type of story that we're covering. You know, as I was typing those words up again to put them back on the WordPress and, you know, kind of transcribing from an older article, it kind of transported me back to that time. And, you know, I can definitely see that being something that we would post today. But I think it just speaks to the overall mission of being able to provide a voice for Howard University. They felt 100 years ago that it was important there was a media outlet to chronicle the experiences of Howard University students and to cement it in the press. The Hilltop wasn't the first campus publication. There were like newsletters, there were magazines that happened a little bit before the Hilltop, but this was the first newspaper. And then, you know, I think the fact that we have so much of the Hilltop documented, it's almost by chance that 70, 80, 90 years ago, people kept these copies. And, you know, I just wanted to shout out the Moreland Spingard Research Center, who's been instrumental in helping to preserve the Hilltop. I think it's a blessing that we're able to even go back and still look at the first edition, because that's not necessarily the case for every newspaper. But someone thought it was so important, the work that they were doing, that they needed to hold on to it every single edition up until January 22nd, 2024. And I think it just speaks to like the mission that I would say that we've been able to really accomplish of, you know, documenting student, faculty, administrator, community experiences, and being able to provide a place for students to have an outlet to express themselves. You know, like this, this is history. Journalism is the first rough draft of history. And the Hilltop in a lot of ways is Howard University's like rough draft of history. So I love that about our publication and just about the archival work that's been done to preserve our publication. For a hundred years, the Hilltop has been the rough draft of history for Howard University. And much of the hard work and the late nights that you put in as editor in chief is to ensure that the Hilltop will be around for another hundred years doing the same work. So Jasper, thank you so much for joining me and just thank you for all that you do. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and to talk a little bit about, you know, my hope for the Hilltop and what the legacy of the paper means to me. Mm-hmm. And you are doing amazing work, Juan, and I hope that everyone can appreciate the work that we've done in the multimedia space in the Hilltop as well, because that is also new. And that's something that we're hoping to expand upon um, in the coming years. So thank you so much for having me and uh, have a good one. <laughs> thank you. You too. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Hill Talks. This episode was written, edited, and produced by me, but none of it would have been possible if it wasn't for the hard work of our reporters and editors at The Hilltop. Special thanks to Natalia and Jasper for joining me today. You can check out their stories and more of our reporting by visiting thehilltoponline.com, where we publish stories on everything from news and politics to what's happening in culture every Monday. Follow us on social media at the Hilltop HU. And if you liked our theme music, it was created by Terry Thomas. With that being said, this is where I leave you. Till next time, Bison. <laughs>